Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to trust on who you are and your knowledge and your power and to study your word from. We pray, Lord, that you would at this point remove the distractions in our thought from what we've just come from and what we've been interacting with to focus on this moment in, on your word and understand what the Holy Spirit would teach through what's being communicated tonight. Thank you for those here in attendance. May we be able to enjoy the company of one another as well as study and learn and grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. For our review, last week we looked at the creation of man. So I'll basically just going to go point by point through our review and allow you, if you flag something, says, I don't remember that in our lesson. Uh, could be that we didn't say it. Could be we said it and it's just been a week. You never know. So we'll go point by point. The first thing we did on our lesson last week, uh, which was titled Creation of Man, the Design and Purpose of Man, is that we defined righteousness. And we took the two words, the Hebrew word sedik, which means conforming to the standard of God, and the Greek word dikaiosune, which identifies conformity to the specifications of the designs of God in form and function. We looked at those two words and started with that vocabulary to give us a framework from which to understand the creation of mankind. Now, on point two, we identified the creation of mankind as being from Genesis 1.26, which says, Let us make man in our image and likeness. It says a lot more than that in verse 26, but that's the focus of the creation of humanity, so we stopped there. We found the word make is from the Hebrew word nesah, meaning to model after a pre-existing pattern. To be man lacks the definite article in the Hebrew, which identifies it as an indefinite usage, referring to mankind as a species. So what all that is to say is it's referring to humanity as opposed to a man in humanity. So the reference there is to the species because of the lack of the definite article. To see. The pattern after which man was, mankind was modeled was Elohim, a three-in-one being comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To D, image is from the Hebrew tselmi, meaning representation of an essence. E, the unique essence of man is a representation of the unique essence of Elohim. F, man's essence is his soul, which is one, self-conscious, meaning aware of its own existence and actions. Two, self-directing, meaning it determines its own course of action. We call this volition or volitional capability. Three, self-governing, meaning responsible for its own morality. And we know because God is sovereign that man is subject to God's authority and we are responsible to him for our morality. 2G, the soul of man contains one, mentality, the mental attitude of the soul, which is impacted by emotion, conscience, and perception. G2, emotion, the appreciator of the soul, which is impacted by circumstances and the heart of the individual. When we identify the appreciator, what we identify is that the emotions respond to circumstances and situations, at least when functioning properly. And they give value to a situation or ascribe a situation as sad or happy or angry. And so they appreciate in that sense. Doesn't We're not using appreciate there in the sense of uh, are grateful for or pleased with. G3, conscience. The witness of the soul which conf affirms or convicts the behavior of an individual as harmonizing with 
or disagreeing with, respectively, the norms and standards of the individual. Now, some of these things we don't have quite the frame of reference for, but the soul of man contains the mentality, the emotion, the conscience, and our conscience is what observes our behavior and says that matches your standard of right, your standard of wrong, or it does not match your standard of right and standard of wrong. So the conscience is, in essence, for the soul, what the Holy Spirit is to the spirit and the world. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The conscience convicts the soul of where they have transgressed their own standards of right or wrong. 2H. The soul of man has the ability to, one, perceive information as gathered by the senses. The soul of man has the ability to comprehend ideas as defined by information perceived. And three, the soul of man has the ability to catalog thought into various categories of ideas as a result of comprehension. So as the senses provide perception of information or data, it's defined then into information. Information is defined further into an idea. So you have multiple pieces of information. It builds out an idea in your head. You understand that idea, and then you are able to catalog that. That is a part of the soul of man. The mind is really the reference there uh, for the soul, and that's the inner man of the soul. 2J, likeness is from the Hebrew word demut, meaning similar in form or nature. K, Elohim created mankind to be similar in his nature, or similar to his nature. M, God is a spiritual being in his nature, and we can look at John 4.24, which says God is spirit, therefore those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And since God is a spiritual being, God created mankind to also be spiritual in man's nature. To in, the spirit of man has the ability to perceive divine information as revealed by God. The spirit of man has the ability to comprehend divine ideas as defined by divine information perceived. And three, the spirit of man has the ability to catalog divine thought into various categories of ideas as a result of comprehension of divine information. So the spirit of man, the soul of man, have similar abilities. One relates to human information or things we learn through our senses, and the other one, the spirit, refers to things we learn through revelation from the spirit. On page two, number three, says forming of the man from Genesis 2-7, which says, then God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. 3a, formed is from the Hebrew word yatsar, meaning to form out of existing materials. The material used to form man was the dust of the ground. 3c, the form of man is a reference to the physical shell of man designed to house the soul and the human spirit, which is called the body. D, man is more literally the man in the Hebrew text and is a reference to a specific defined human. So where in Genesis 1.26 we had an indefinite or undefined human and so we identified it as humanity. The Hebrew text identifies a specific man here. It's the Adam, which we know to be the Adam of the Garden of Eden. That leads us to 3E. The human being formed in Genesis 2.7 is Adam, which in the Hebrew form means man. Again, the definite article makes it the Adam or the man as opposed to humanity or mankind. 3F, breath is from the Hebrew nizmat, meaning a unit of air which passes in and out of the lungs through the mouth and nostrils, essential to life and a causative agent for an activity of God. That is lifted directly from an Old Testament dictionary. 
3G, nismat, is only used in relationship to an action of God and is used by God to initiate life or to extinguish life. Remove is in there, but I like extinguish better. So if you want to cross that out for my personal sake, you can. Otherwise, leave it the way you like. Nismat, breath, is only used in relationship to an action of God and is used by God to initiate life or to extinguish or remove life. 3H. Life is from the Hebrew hayim, meaning lives. Hayim is plural and is used in the dual form, identifying two lives specifically. 3K. The singular nismat, breath, of God initiated two lives in the body. The two lives initiated were soul life and spirit life. 3N. The body contains the capacity for life in the blood. We can cross-reference Leviticus 17.11, which was actually brought up last week. And the Hebrew word nefesh from Leviticus 17.11 means capacity for life. 3O. While the capacity for life, nefesh, exists in the blood of the body, the breath, nismat, is necessary in order to provide the, the necessary component for animate life. 3P. When God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath, nismat, he jump-started or initiated the capacity for soul life, nefesh, and the capacity for spirit life, nefesh. Both are contained in the blood. 3Q. Since the breath necessary to initiate animate life was provided in the body, man became a living being. R, the phrase living being, is from the Hebrew hayah nefesh, meaning a complete being described as being in a state of animate life. There's two words in this phrase. The first is hayah, or hayah, excuse me, meaning living in the sense of animate. It identifies something that is able to function and move on its own uh, abilities or independence. The second part of the phrase is nefesh, again meaning capacity for life. Hayah is an adjective, nefesh is a noun. So when we look at 3S and put the phrase together, we have the description of the capacity for life by living, which identifies that the capacity for life has been filled with a necessary component, which we harmonize to 126 as, or 27, Genesis 27, as the nismat, the breath. And since the capacity for life has been filled with the necessary component, the nismat, life is initiated and the inanimate object, which harmonized again as the body of Adam, is made animate and it becomes living, hayah. So hayah describes nefesh, the capacity for life is in the body, specifically in the blood, and the shell of the body is made a living being when the blood has that nismat in it, therefore it has, it's able, it is made animate in that res regard. Any questions on that part? Okay. Number four. Design of mankind as a result of Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 2.7. A, man was designed to possess three parts. One, body, the shell made from the dust of the earth. Two, soul, the unique essence of man comprised of his inner man, which is self-conscious, self-directing, and self-governing, and which relates to human phenomena. Again, phenomena is a fancy word for stuff or things. Stuff or things, if you like. It's a little bit more specific when you use phenomena, but stuff or things is better for comprehension's sake. 4A3. <laughs> human spirit, or man was designed to possess also the human spirit, the third part, 
the nature of man is a spiritual being which is able to communicate, relate to, and understand spiritual phenomena, again, spiritual things or stuff. That leads us to 4b. Man's design possessed a specific function, which is to glorify God to angels originally and to other humans in consequence of the fall. Each aspect of man's design has a specific function, which is designed to carry out the ultimate function of man. So the ultimate function of man is to glorify God originally to angels and consequently to humans. Each aspect of man's design has its own function, which accomplishes that objective. Number one, the body is designed to house the soul and spirit and carry out the activity of the soul and human spirit. Last week, we did not include spirit in there. We really should have. It's been an oversight of mine for about a year and a half now, apparently. I saw that this afternoon and said, well, why, why didn't I do that sooner? So obviously, the body houses the spirit. We need to make sure it's in there to be accurate. So the body is designed to house the soul and human spirit and carry out the activity of the soul and human spirit. The second aspect of man's design is the soul, which is designed to direct the body to carry out the stewardship responsibilities given to it, to the soul, by God as a representation of God. Number three, the human spirit is designed to govern the soul under the spiritual thought process of God. So the spirit, human spirit is the governor of the soul, which is the representation of, of God on earth through the body carrying out the activities that God has given the man to carry out. Those responsibilities changed in different time periods, which is why Adam and Eve were commanded to guard the garden, protect the garden, multiply it, and we're not. One, we can't do it. The garden is not available to us. We're different, given different commands. Israel is given different commands. doesn't change who God is, just changes the responsibilities he gives to those on earth at given times. We reminded ourselves at that point on 4D of the word righteousness, which identifies conforming to the standard, and again, the Greek word emphasizing conformity to the specifications of the designs of God in form and function. Consequently, for an object or person to be described as righteous, it must conform to the specifications of its design in its form and in its function. The design of man is trichotomous, which means made of three parts, and the function of man is threefold, three functions which ultimately carry out one ultimate function. In the design and function of humanity, God's nature and essence are clearly represented. Since he is a three-in-one being, we have a, a being created as his representation, which is three-in-one, body, soul, and spirit, which carries out three functions, each of which are uh, part of a larger function. So the design of man is three-in-one. The function of man is three-in-one. Just kind of an interesting note there. Down to 4H. If a part of the design is missing, then a part of the function is missing. J, if a part of the design is missing, then the object or being cannot be in conformity to the specifications. K, if a part of the design is missing, then its missing function also is out of conformity to the specifications. Leads us to item five, which is the ultimate function of mankind. We summarized in two points. A, the ultimate function and purpose of mankind is originally to glorify God to angels. We looked at Ephesians 3, 8 to 10 as one of the references there. And B, the ultimate function and purpose of mankind as a result of the fall is to glorify God to angels and to fallen man. We had three verses that we re referenced, Matthew 5, 16, John 15, 8, and 1 Corinthians 4, 9. 
And I want to make it clear that those three verses don't necessarily identify specific purpose, although two of them do. They identify from what we can see in the passage that angels and and humanity are made witness of God's character as a result of proper behavior by man. So uh, it's by default in one of the verse, I believe that would be 1 Corinthians 4, 9, uh, Matthew 5, 16, and John 15, 8, do have a uh, purpose clause in the, con- in the Greek text to identify the purpose of man also is to glorify God to men and angels. So there's the review on last week's notes. Leads us to just perfect timing for a five-minute break or so, even though we just got going. Like a five-minute break, rest your brains, cells, and we'll get back with our lesson tonight on the fall of man. <laughs>